Today we have in the Ron Paul Liberty Highlights, Dr. Paul and Chris Rossini teaming up on a segment about how authoritarians gain and maintain their power through lies, and that makes free speech their enemy. And that might shed some light on why there's so much censorship, and I, I'm going to predict as Karnak the Spirko, some of you know who Karnak was, you're old enough, Karnak the Spirko says, that's all about to start happening again at, at, at a new level with some new shit. And when I get to my segment, you'll understand why. John Pugliano will tell you the recession has been postponed. However, it has not been canceled. Dr. Ken, Ber Ken Berry will talk about understanding what happens when you, quote, cheat, end quote, on keto. After his segment, I'm going to come back and tell you why I think that's a poor term. I think that's a poor term. I think it'll make sense when I explain to you what I mean. Tim, the tool man cook, will talk about dealing with AC drip noise. So your AC produces condensation, and depending on how things are routed through your house, you might have a thing that sounds like, dunk, 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 and it's just water dripping out of your AC unit. And it may be going where it belongs and not causing any trouble, but you may not, if you live in the South, want to hear all night long. Dun, 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 dun. So Tim will tell you what to do about that. Nicole Sauce will talk about how to maintain positive relationships with your neighbors and build local community. Sean Mills will talk about reducing the load when starting up an air compressor due to concerns about the electrical infrastructure uh, in, this, in, in particular in a rented facility. I'll tell you why it's, you know, it's a bigger subject than just that. And I'll give you some of my experience with this with an air compressor that runs an air conditioner versus the kind of compressor we're talking about here, a shop compressor. But why I think there's probably a couple solutions available in addition to what Sean had to say. And my segment today is, here comes the bullshit again. A rare, undiagnosed pneumonia in children! And the Wuhan lab wanted to reverse engineer Ebola. So the Chinese were screwing around with Ebola Prior to COVID, NIH caught red-handed, and of course the morons on Twitter when I put this out said, "You're a MAGA retard." Oh, you know this actually happened before COVID, while Trump was president, so he gets some of the friggin' blame. I'm just saying, but we'll talk about it when we get there. And how I think there's an over exuberance in the liberty community right now with a false belief that people are actually waking up. I'm going to use this to show you that you can't bet on that. It might happen. I hope it does. But you sure as hell can't bet on it. We'll cover all of that and more today. Before we do, let's hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Live Free Academy. That's John Bush with the Natural Health Summit. He's put together an incredible, incredible list of people. Uh, all doing their own presentations on natural health. Just about everything you can think of in that space. And that begins, I believe it's Wednesday next week, so there's still plenty of time, but the time is running out. Get on by my website, click the link, get on over there and register for it. It's 100% free. F-R-E-E, -E, free. 
but you have to sign up, and if you don't, well, then you don't get to see it. It's all online. You don't have to go anywhere. I'm sure there's some paid upgrades and things like that, but the basic seminar is 100% free. You really want to check this out and not miss your opportunity to see it for free. And, you know, it's a lot of different experts, so if you don't want to see the whole thing, as long as you register, there's a schedule, you can pick and choose what you do want to listen to. Next up today is Start 9 Embassy Servers. You know, we're going to lead off with a segment from Chris Rossini and Dr. Ron Paul today. And they're going to talk about tyranny and censorship. If you want to change that, then you need to change the way that you use technology. That includes things like Start 9 Embassy Servers, getting your butt onto Noster, where your your speech simply cannot, under any circumstances, be censored, nor your reach limited. The receiver of your information gets to choose who they listen to, when they listen to, and how they listen to them. What a crazy-ass idea. Again, that goes right into Dr. Paul and Chris Lucini's segment today. Like, free speech is the enemy of tyranny. Free speech is the enemy of tyranny. Maybe that needs to be on a shirt. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I do know this. You should look into Start9 Embassy servers. If you're thinking, this is too complicated. As soon as I hear the word server, Jack, that's for nerds like you that I don't understand things any better than you do. I, I know this. You get the Start9 Embassy server. You, you, you install it. The instructions come with it. You follow the instructions. You put an app on your phone so that you can manage it. And you start learning how to use the apps. It's that easy. It really is. It's not hard. And they are one of the best supporters we have. A 9% discount on all Start9 Embassy servers available to MSB members. So check that out today as well. With that, let's go ahead and dive head on into it with Ron Paul's Liberty Highlights for the week. Authoritarians gain and maintain power through lies. They're talking about all kinds of nonsense. Let's make sure that there's no disinformation. The issuers of the most disinformation in the history of mankind has come from the government, and that gets worse constantly. So every time the government comes in and says something about, well, we have to regulate this this disinformation, they're telling lies and they're doing things, and we have to straighten them out. So we turn to our politicians who are nihilists, and they don't even believe in truth. Believe me, they're a long way off from the strict interpretation of our First Amendment. You are correct, of course. Uh, massive lies uh, depend on mass broadcasting, and we have that today. And as you point out, the biggest uh, misinformation people are the politicians and the media, and they work together. They put out the same narrative, this big narrative that they broadcast out, and unfortunately, many people still uncritically accept it. It's like they go to the TV to get their marching orders. Uh, and then the usual suspects come out, the big corporations and Hollywood and major sports teams. And then the celebrities are, are rolled out. Uh, so, the, you know, this uh, how this works should become obvious to more and more people as time goes on. But we have an advantage, you know, people who at least seek the truth. Uh, because that only needs a single person. You don't need mass broadcasting. You know, um, if you think back to the COVID you know, mass disinformation put out by politicians and the media. It was one governor down in Florida who put a, threw a monkey wrench into the whole thing. His state shined like a bright star while everybody else was uh, self-imposed suffering. You know, and uh, Elon Musk is another one, him buying Twitter for $44 billion. That's, that shows you how much the truth costs. 
And believe me, that was not planned because they're going after him, uh, like they went after Death Santis. You know, the, uh, so that's their Achilles heel is people speaking freely. And if you go on to X, you know, formerly Twitter, you will get every side of the argument. Whether it was COVID, Israel, Ukraine, you will see all sides. Elon Musk is, for the most part, and I don't know what the future holds, but he is living up to his free speech promises. You know, I think it's easy for us to defend the argument that it's usually government that's the greatest, uh, you, you know, offense uh, to our rights of freedom of speech. But uh, then when you hear that the U.N. is getting involved, you really should have to stop and worry because they're hardly going to be the group of people, the authoritarians that are going to come and rescue us and protect us with our ability and our desire and our right to talk and say each other and have opinions. But the Zero Hedge had, uh, had an article yesterday. I want to just quote a little bit from it. It said, inside the U.N. plan to control speech online. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. A powerful United Nations agency has revealed a plan to regulate social media and online communications while cracking down on what it describes as false information. I wonder who will be the judge of false information. Well, yes, the U.N., um, to me, they're just a bunch of people that sit around. They come up with totalitarian schemes, and then it's, it gets uh, public relations, a lot of public relations. They always, their schemes are always way out in the future, 2040, 2050. I mean, you know, life changes so fast. Uh, anyone can make stuff up about 2050. I could do that. You know, but they do it and they have a PR department. I don't. So uh, that's what they do. Uh, by the time 2050 comes around, nobody's going to remember what was said back in 2023. Uh, but in the end, thank goodness, the UN is toothless. They have no army. They have no taxing power. Each country must submit individually. Uh, so the people in those countries have to go along with it. And if a country refuses, they become the Florida. They become the one that proves that the U.N. scheme is nonsense. And that's why all of these schemes of trying to get everybody in the world to go uh, for this one idea is, is fruitless. It's a fool's errand. But they never stop. They're always coming up with something new, whether it be climate, whether it be you know gas stoves, you name it. They always have something. I guess it gives them something to do. But like Dr. Paul says, we have something to do, too. And that's just to point out the nonsense of their ideas. Uh, a lot of people, as conservatives, are afraid of the UN as if, you know, they're, the, the, the Communist Party is going to take over the world. I'm more afraid of the conservative foreign policy than the toothless UN. The conservative foreign policy, they're already out in the Middle East again. That's scary. Uh, so forget about, you know, you always keep an eye on the UN, but don't have the fear that they're, you know, under everyone's bed. Not a lot to add to that other than I, I do want to point something out about censorship. There is no real need to censor so-called actual disinformation. If what people are saying is false and demonstrably false and it can be proven as false and you can prove that the people saying it are wrong, there's no need to censor them. You simply engage in the debate and you discredit the claim. That's all you do. And hold on to that idea for when I get to my segment today and I tell you about some of the lunatics who are defending the government in an indefensible situation here. Because 
if, if you can actually intellectually combat an idea, the, the best thing you can do is to do so. If you can't, then what you want to do is shut up the other party. You want them shut down and shut up so that the retards can believe your lies. Now, there are one thing you need to understand, though, in understanding what you're dealing with, with propaganda, lies, government control, etc., agnosium, is that we are in such a tribal society, a left-right tribe society, that there are people that as long as the lie supports their side, no amount of evidence will ever change that. But when you live in, I'm going to use a word some of you are going to get all triggered about, but it's, it's, a, it's a real word, and it really is what we are, a democracy. When you live in a democracy, if you have about 60% of the people willing to seriously support one side of an idea, not agree with it, not, oh yeah, but like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to elect people who actually do this thing this way, then you're going to get that thing done this way. Now, there's plenty of things people say they want, but they won't vote according to their principles. It's something like 87% of Americans support term limits, and the other 13% are probably politicians and bureaucrats. You know, um, But they, they won't go out and make it an issue and vote for it. That's one of the reasons I don't vote, because people don't actually vote for what they want. They vote for who they want, because they think it will get them some of what they want. It, it, it's a freaking scam is all that it is. But it is always a present danger that if imp opinion is swayed sufficiently, then our propaganda will fail. So we have to silence the dissent. But both sides are holding about 30% of society captive. There's about 60% of people who are, in I mean, in-freaking-capable of seeing that their side could possibly be wrong under any circumstance. The 60% who are willing to change their mind, they're not the middle. Many of them are also left or right, but they're all like, my guy did what? Right? These are the ones you have to censor people from reaching. People with anything left of a semblance of independent thought. And I'm going to tell you something, 30% might not sound that bad, but it's 60 it's 60 dividing the country perfectly, 30 on one side, 30 on the other. And that number was probably, let's say in 1960, was probably more around 10 to 15% on each side. And the growth rate of this, because of the way that they have captured academia, is now exponential. And it is probably the case that there will be less than 10% of people capable of independent thought in the next 10 years. So to make that happen, which is the goal, they don't care. Again, I've always said this. They don't care what side you pick. Just pick a side. Pick a side. Because if you pick the right and you think, well, I'm against them. No, you're not. The right foot and the left foot are attached to the same giant walking forward to step on your face. You understand that? That's what's going on. And so the fact is that the right will do horrible, horrible things that you will support because the right, at least in, in word, not necessarily action, opposes some of the horrible, horrible, horrible things the left wants to do. And the left, the people on the left, they feel the same way about you. They know their side is a bunch of lying, thieving, conniving assholes. They just think they have better lying, thieving, conniving assholes than you do. 
Better doesn't usually necessarily mean good. You have two mafia families, and they both hate freedom of speech. Governments and the state have always hated freedom of speech. It is why our founders ensconced freedom of speech into the Constitution through amendment. And don't think it was all 100% agreed upon by a group of men who saw themselves as a new aristocracy. I'm just saying. Our founders largely thought of themselves as, we need to create a new aristocracy. It'll be us and we can be trusted. Fortunately, there were men among them that said, gentlemen, even if we can, it doesn't mean the next generation can. And that was enough to get enough people on board to amend the Constitution and ensconce free speech into it, which apparently means absolutely nothing in 2023. Let's take another one. This one on recessions from John Pugliano, who says, the recession has been not canceled, just postponed. Hello, TSP. Well, if you saw me at the fall TSP workshop or if you follow me on the podcast, you know that I've had a really severe cold and cough. It's focused mostly in my voice. I appreciate your thoughts and prayers. I am getting better, but I'm still nowhere near 100%. Because of that, I've been really slack in getting listener questions answered. I've tried to contact some of you directly through email and answer your questions, and I'll still try and do that before the year runs out. But if I don't get to you, we're going to have to kind of just reset things till next year. Hey, speaking of next year, what I want to talk to you about today, since this is probably going to be the last chance I do get to address you before 2024 is I want to talk about all the media propaganda that's going on right now about how the recession has been averted, you know, the stock market is doing fantastic, and the rally that's been limited to a handful of stocks, well, that's starting to broaden out across the general stock market. Okay, I don't believe any of that's true. Now, if you know me, you know I'm not coming to you as a prepper porn doom and gloom perspective. In the small amount of time I have here, I just want to acknowledge some economic realities. Now, number one, the media is all abuzz about how historically low the volatility is in the stock market. Well, that's true if you measure it by the VIX, but it's not true if you measure it simply by price action. And that's just not the stock market. I mean, look at the way that U.S. Treasury yields have fluctuated not only just over the last year, but even over the last eight to ten weeks Listen, you can say what you want about the U.S. dollar, but the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency. And as such, its yields shouldn't be drastically changing as much as they are, not only from week to week, but even from day to day. That's not the sign of a stable, low-volatility market. And even with the S&P 500 itself, yeah, it's doing great today. 30 days ago, it was down more than 10%. That's not the sign of a healthy, stable, sustainable stock market rally. And speaking of the stock market rally, taking out a handful of stocks, what's being called right now the Magnificent Seven, if you look at the other 493 stocks in the S&P 500 index, they are not only not rallying, they are nowhere near the record highs, which were put in sometime in either late 2021 or early 2022. So we're looking at stock market highs that are more than two years old. And it's not even a stock market. Or the S&P 500, it's it's almost all indices, including almost all commodities. And I say almost all commodities. The real rare exception is gold. Gold has been breaking out lately. And I think that's more of a sign of fear and panic and not 
you know, stability in the stock market. And not only are these big S&P 500 stocks way off the record highs from a couple years ago, even just comparing it over this past year when the market has supposedly rallied so much, you have 44% of the S&P 500 that's trading below its 200-day moving average, which effectively means that if you've been buying holding this year, you've lost money. And as bad as the large cap stocks are, the small cap stocks are even worse. And this is where the big media lies kicking in. You're seeing people all over Wall Street telling you that the small cap stocks have underperformed and they have very low valuations. And so this dip in small cap stocks is a good time to buy the value. And in fact, they're telling you that that's exactly what is happening. A lot of money is moving into small cap stocks. Well, some money is moving into small cap stocks, but not mine. Not yet. That may be something to do in 2024. But for now, let me tell you, I don't believe that most small cap stocks are investable at this point. And I say that because you've got something like 38% of the Russell 2000, that's a small cap index, something like nearly 40% of them are not profitable. And it gets worse because not only are they not profitable, but you've got 30% of them that can't even have enough cash flow to cover their financing expenses. And this is at a time when most of these interest rate hikes that we've seen haven't had any impact on the general market. That's why we've averted a recession so far. I mean, think about your home loan. How many people right now have 30-year mortgages under 4%? A lot of them. Well, it's the same way with corporations. But corporations generally can't finance their debt over long periods of time, especially the smaller and more riskier companies. Their debt refinancing terms, in general, are only about four years. So that means that all these small cap companies, especially the more distressed companies, they're going to have to refinance in 2024 when junk bond yields are somewhere around 8.5%. And these same companies haven't had to take out loans since 2020 when junk bond yields back then were only 5.35%. So these small distressed companies are going to see their interest payments go up by nearly 60%. And remember, these are companies where 30% of them don't have the cash flow to pay their existing loans. These are zombie companies. Most of them have only existed over the last 10 to 15 years because money was so cheap and free. And it looks like that era of easy money is done with. And so I think it's almost inevitable that all of these zombie companies can go on existing. Now, I don't think they're all going to go bankrupt, but what if 5, 10, 15% do? It's something that the market is not prepared for. Listen, I can go on and on. For 19 months now, we've seen the conference board's leading economic indicators decline. That has never happened before without the country going into a recession. And it's not only the U.S. economy. Look across the globe. Even OPEC, with all their production cuts, can't keep the price of oil above $80. The same thing can be said with copper. You would think all the emphasis on green energy and electrification of the economy and all the money that the government's pumping into that, that that would spur prices for things like copper. Well, copper is down 20% from its high. The global economy is in a slowdown. At best, estimates are that it won't even grow at 3% next year. If you look at ISM manufacturing numbers, of the 26 or so largest economies in the world, 
there are maybe six that are suggesting an expansion in manufacturing activity. And of those, yeah, there's a couple big countries in there like India and Mexico. But for the most part, you're talking about small economies like the Philippines, Greece, and Singapore. So the economic malaise is global. And this is occurring, as I mentioned before, without the full effects of higher interest rates fully kicking in and depressing overall economic growth. So while the recession has been postponed, I don't think it's canceled. In fact, I think it's very likely that we could see a shallow recession in first quarter that will give the Federal Reserve the opportunity to temporarily lower interest rates, maybe around May or June. And then that, of course, will create some short-term stimulus ahead of the November elections. You know, as I've studied recessions over these last 70 years or so, I've only found one recession occurring when a sitting Democratic president was running for re-election. And that occurred with Jimmy Carter. So I assume that the powers that be are going to do everything they can to avert a full-blown recession until after November of 2024. And so while I'm talking a lot of bad news here, I actually think that there could be a pretty good window of opportunity to buy the dip and get some market timing trading in next year. Hey, in any case, this will probably be the last segment that you hear from me in 2023. So I want to wish you all a very happy holiday season and encourage you not to be pessimistic, but to be cynically optimistic and look for opportunity, whether times get tough or even if they don't. Until next time, this is John Pugliano from Investable Wealth and the Wealth Standing Podcast. Basically, shit is bad, but going to get worse. But their whole, what did I say earlier this week? Exactly this. John's using a lot more technical terms, but I said that they're trying to hold the economy together with take your pick of redneck medium, whether it be bail and wire, duct tape, uh, or zip ties. And that they've been, they've managed to hold it together for a while. And you can do a lot with zip ties, bail and wire, and duct tape. But sooner or later, that shit's going to wear out if you're trying to hold together real equipment within the economy is real equipment. Their goal right now is to get the dementia patient or his stand-in, whoever that may be, re-elected in 2024, and then they know it's going to go to shit, and they're going to let it go to shit. That's reality. And the media is lying, and they're all in on it again, including, I know, I listen to Fox News, Jack. Well, you listen to Fox News, as in false news, because they're just as bad. They just put a right-wing spin on it, so you'll believe it. Because this is what I'm hearing on Fox News right now, when I have the audacity to tune into it so you don't have to. Basically, they're saying, you know, Biden's got a real problem right now, and Biden sucks. And then, like, suck, 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 Biden sucks, right? You want to make sure you say Biden sucks enough so the right-wing people will keep listening. But the economy's really not that bad. Inflation's way down. No, it's not, assholes. It's cumulative. It's cumulative. You can't look at inflation this month and say, well, it's only 3%. It's 3% on top of the freaking 20-plus percent that's happened since this asshole took over the economy. That's what it is. That's the real number. The real number is where was it when this asshole took over... Where is it today? Now, again, this isn't me shilling for the right. You kind of should understand how I feel about them by now. And if this is your first show, you should have kind of figured it out in my first segment that I'm not shilling for them. But that's the truth. See, I'm not pro-right or pro-left. I'm pro-truth. I'm about calling strikes and balls as, as they come across the plate or don't. 
And this is a big-ass strike. But they're like, the stock market's pretty good, and the economy, the unemployment rate is low. You know what I said? We heard this yesterday, my wife and I. We looked at each other in disbelief. My wife, who almost never says the F word, said, we just spent fucking $400 on Thanksgiving for the family, and it didn't even include the fucking turkey. Right? For my wife to bust off with two F-bombs in one sentence is rare. That's how pissed she was. That's how pissed she was. And I looked at her and I said, honey, do you know how lucky we are? Because John mentioned you know, locked-in mortgage rates. Like, we bought a house 10 years ago. We have an interest rate of about 3%. We don't even have to worry about the cost of housing. It's irrelevant to us. We go almost nowhere. We both pick up and drop off kids less than a few miles from our house. That's most of our driving. So we don't even give a shit what gas costs. right? And we make good money, and we've managed money well our whole life. And we, we are so untouched by this, and we feel it. Can you imagine how this feels to a 35-year-old working their ass off right now. And then I said to her, I said, Honey, do you know what's worse than not having a job and being broke? And she said, What? And I said, Having a job and being broke. Having a job and being broke is worse than not having a job and being broke. You don't have a job. At least you don't have a job. You're not out there killing yourself. You're broke. It's the same. But when you're busting your ass every day, when you are held to a time clock every day, when you're doing everything the way that you were taught you're supposed to do and you're broke, then it really sucks. And here's where I'm going to go with this. You're thinking, Jack's Jack's changing his mind on what he said. Brandon's toast. No. These morons will get on TikTok, these young imbeciles, these people who might as well call themselves chicken for Kentucky Fried Chicken, Okay, chickens for KFC will get on there and tell you how miserable their friggin' lives are. Old people, their kids teach them how to use social, will tell you, I can't survive on my social security. And they're going to turn around and they're going to vote for this turn up anyway. Don't think they won't. My wife says to me, what do you think the odds are that Biden wins re-election? I said about the same as whoever runs against him beating him. It's a 50-50 split. The country is full of idiots. The country is full of morons. And you better understand that. You better understand that. When you walk down the street, at least half of the people around you do not have a functional IQ above 85. Most of that group of people do not have an IQ above 80. By the way, I think it's 70 where they consider a person, a word we're not supposed to use anymore for this, retarded. 70s like borderline intellectually incompetent, and you got a bunch of people running around with 80 IQs. 80 to 85. The average IQ in America is a 90. The average IQ in America, when you lump everybody, is a 90. That's not so swift. That's not so swift. These are people we rely on for things. They're easily manipulated. They're going to pick their side of the tribe and they're going to vote for it. Remember how I said like 30 and 30, they're just going to do it no matter what? Well, that leaves 40% of the people. Most of us in that space realize we are pushing string. We don't vote. We're not going to vote, and your orange man won't win if we do. He's going to win or lose, and I don't don't trust the game to be straight anyway. I don't think the elections are fair and, and, and well run. I don't think they are at all. I think the right's right about that. They're cheating, and they're going to do it again. And then they're going to silence you when you point out... It's going to be way more obvious this time. 
It's going to be right in your face. They're going to show you videos of it, and they're going to say, what, from 1984? Do not trust what you see with your eyes and hear with your ears. It's our final and most important command, and people will do it. And people will do it. You think, this is a lot of you, hold on to this hope. If just enough truth comes out about January 6th, or pick your thing, then all these people over here that think it's true will understand it's a lie. No, they won't. No, they won't. They will not. And you should understand that. Because we have stupid people and a coming economic collapse. That's what we have. And we have morons running the ship and evil bastards controlling the, the morons, and the morons are puppets. If you ain't figured it out yet, the morons are key bureaucrats and politicians, and the people that pull the strings, the evil bastards, they're the ones that control the money. There is no fixing this. There is only getting through it. Have a plan. Be prepared. Let's move on and hear from Ken Berry about what happens when you cheat on keto or carnivore diets. Hey, TFP crew, this is Dr. Ken Berry answering a question today from Chris. Uh, Chris says, I make a general effort to eat a low-carb keto, more meat-centric diet and attempt to keep my carbs to around 20 grams a day. Uh, so let's make that 20 total grams of carbohydrates a day max. As I have probably 10 or 15 pounds I need to lose. However, sometimes there are things I like to indulge in. This would equate to being keto around 50-60% of the time during the week, but maybe breaking the pattern over the weekend. Does this type of cheating nuke any chances of further weight loss and health benefits? I'm a 40-year-old male, no health issues, 5'10", 185, started doing CrossFit three times a week about a month ago. It's a great question. So uh, the, the concept that I operate under is that your health, benefits uh, from the degree that you eliminate the slow poison of high carbohydrate, highly processed foods. And so uh, Chris is in pretty good shape. He's got a little weight to lose. He's trying to build some muscle. And so this eating strategy is what it's going to, you'll still probably lose the fat slowly, Chris, but it's just not going to be as fast, as quickly as you might like for it to be. And so if you're okay with that, and you're okay with the possible inflammation that's going to still be continuing in your body and the possible small amount of damage that's being done in your body when you indulge in those things, then I think this is a rational choice. As long as you're aware of the risks and you, you understand that the benefit, the weight loss and the health improvement, it might be a slower uh, achievement of that goal then this is a, a fine compromise for you to make. But understand, it will there will be consequences, and the consequences are slower weight loss, although you may still have it, slower improvement in your health, although you probably will still have some. Does that make sense? And so if, if all you guys would just consider the highly processed crap that's in the middle of the grocery store as slow poison, that kind of helps with questions like this. So you're like, well, I really love filling the blank. I love to eat that. I'm going to have that every Sunday night or every Friday night. That's going to be how I get crazy now. Is that a big deal? Well, are you okay with ingesting that amount of slow poison uh, once a week? And if your answer is, well, I mean, yeah, then do it. It's fine. You're a grown-ass human. You can do whatever you want. But if you're like, no, I want to get, I want to get the 10 to 15 pounds off as quickly as possible, and I want to get optimal health as quickly as possible, and my answer to, to you would be, no, don't do this. You want to you be under 20 total grams of carbs every single day, 
without exception. When you have that splurge, you're not going to nuke your your chances of further weight loss or health benefits, but you will slow that progress down to the degree with which you ingest the high-carb, highly inflammatory foods. Hope that makes sense and hope that helps. This is Dr. Barry. I'll see you guys next time. I, I completely agree with Ken here. I really do. And I don't remember this girl's name, or I'd give her credit for it, but Ken uh, did a documentary on the carnivore diet where they went to Central America. I don't remember exactly where in Central America, somewhere in Central America. And there was a girl in that documentary, and I didn't really care for her overall. I can't think of her name now. She was all emotional. They had a whole segment where she got emotional because somebody said something bad about her on social media, and she had to cry and shit. So I really wasn't a fan of this girl. She got very upset with Ken. Again, not a fan of this girl. He was very diplomatic and nice to her. I probably wouldn't have been. But I'm still going to give her credit for what she said because even when I don't like a person, I give them credit when they're right. That's called being fair and even-handed. right? And what she said, somebody used the word cheat, and she said, I don't like that word in this. And the reason I don't like that word is cheat is something you do to benefit yourself. And when you... When you are on a diet or you have a, a, a meal plan that you're following and you go off it, it doesn't benefit you. You haven't cheated. I'm going to add to it. From here on, this is all Jack's opinion. I, I would add to that, you haven't cheated, you have failed. You have done damage to yourself. You have done damage to your goal. Now, I agree with Ken. Like If you want to do it once in a while, I say it all the time, go ahead and do it. But I think if you change the approach from cheated to failed or cheated to derailed or anything you want to use other than cheat, you'll probably do it less without like having to not do it at all or without having to say I can't do it or without having to feel bad about it. Just understand what it is. If that's not making sense, hear me out. Let's say that I was back in high school. I'm not going to say this ever happened or anything. Let's say I didn't study for a, a vocabulary test that included spelling for some pretty advanced, like, 12th grade words. And so let's say that the ones I was struggling with, like, in study hall before the class, I made a little crib sheet with, like, the three words that were hard and some little abbreviation that helped me remember what they meant. And I put that little sucker in my sleeve of my shirt and when Mr. Machowski wasn't looking, sorry, Mick, I did it. And I, I looked there, and I got those three words right on my test. That's cheating. Now, you might say, well, you didn't benefit because you didn't really learn. I don't even remember what those three words are. I probably could tell you what they mean and spell them today if I really needed to. But it doesn't really matter. What it did is get me an A on the test. So even though it was wrong, I benefited. When you cheat, you do so for your benefit. When you, your go, and benefit of your goal. Okay? Benefit of your goal. So, another way to look at this from a dietary standpoint, if you and I decided we're going to go on a weight loss program together, and instead of 20 carbohydrates a day for total carbohydrate intake, we both agreed we were going to target 50 because we, we believed that was good enough, and we both really did. And the bet was whoever loses the greatest percentage of body fat. By the time, let's say, a uh, hundred days of doing it, and we both did what we were supposed to do, and then we would see who won. Basically, who stuck to the plan, man? Who stuck to the plan? But if right out of the gate, I was like, "Yeah, man, I'll do that with you," and I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm going to target 25 carbs." 
And if I go over, I go over. But my daily target's going to be 25, but I agreed to 50. I've cheated you in the bet for my benefit so I can win. I believe that it'll work better if I do that. So I've purposely misled you into believing that I'm going to agree to the 50. So that's what you're going to target, but I'm going to target 25. That's cheating. That's cheating. If I tell myself I'm going to target 25 and I go out and eat 50 every day, I haven't cheated. I've failed. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean I should go shove my head in the toilet and flush it three times. It just means that if we change perspective on things, because when we hear cheat, we think, ooh, ooh, right? Ooh, I get to cheat. But if I get to fail, I'm going to think a little differently, and I'll probably choose to fail less often. Just my thoughts on that one. Next up, we're going to talk about air conditioner drain noise. Some I have going on in my house, but the place that it happens, I don't really care because I don't sleep anywhere near it. Hey guys, Toolman Tim here, coming back at you from the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. Back with another expert counsel question, so let's dive right in. This week's question comes from Thomas, and he says, Hey Tim, this is about quieting a condensation drain tube for AC drips into a sink trap that drips all night long and echoes loud like someone banging on a drum. Backstory. We had one of our home AC units replaced in our attic. The contractor must have corrected the two condensation lines. The backup line goes from the overflow pan to a pipe exiting the soffit, while the main drain line directs into a pipe that goes into the drain above the trap in the master bath sink. This setup existed prior to the replacement, but we never noticed the dripping sound. Given Texas's 100-degree weather and humidity, the AC unit runs every five minutes, and the condensation drips so loudly, we need to put towels in the sink at night so we can sleep. Thanks. Well, that's an interesting one. I always forget, and I've seen that in a few uh, YouTuber videos that I've watched over time, that most everybody in Texas has their central air units in their attic, which I guess solves some problems and creates some others. Ours is in the basement, so it just drips directly into a floor drain with no issues whatsoever. I'm actually going to suggest a few low-tech options, I think, that would probably fix the issue. Now, the first thing I would do is I would go upstairs, if you're comfortable with it, and look where that drain line is going into the pipe. Now, if it's going right in the center of the pipe, if you can adjust it a little bit and push it over against the side of the pipe, you might be able to get the drip to come out and then slide down the side of the pipe. Problem solved. That was my first suggestion. Just move that drainage right around, or the drain line around so that it's kind of dropping against the side and then just slides down the pipe. That may fix it. It may not. I'm not sure. Uh, and that may just be the problem. It may not even be that the guy fixed it. He may have just moved it around when he replaced it, and now it's going down the center of the pipe and making that loud noise as opposed to the side of it. Now, suggestion number two. It sounds like if it's making that long of a noise, there's a few other options. I mean, you could put a bend in the pipe to slow it down, but that can create more problems than you want. What I would do is I would go down and find where the pipe is hitting or where where the water is hitting at the bottom now there's a couple of options i was just thinking out loud here the first one i was uh, thinking would be maybe some plastic bug screen now this is only if this is if you don't have any solids going down this line at all if it's always just water then a plastic bug screen you know a couple of feet above where the the drip would actually hit would diffuse it enough that you're not going to get the loud banging noise. You're basically just going to break up the surface tension, and that'll be that. 
Another issue, originally I thought maybe like this would be like a steel wool, not a steel wool, but like a, um, a chain mail pot scrubber or something that you could shove in the pipe. Now that might get rusty, so then maybe go to like Dollar Tree or Family Dollar, something like that. It, find yourself a plastic pot scrubber. And if it's big enough that you can jam it in there, that it's not going to clog off your pipe, then that might diffuse it as well. Now that's not always an option depending on what's going down there. But my first option for sure would be to move the line so that it slides up against the pipe and then it runs down the side of the pipe. And honestly, that that's probably all you need to do. Just diffuse the water enough or get it against the side and go from there. I hope that helps. If you've got more specifics you want to send along to me, I might be able to come up with something a little bit better. But quite often those low-tech solutions are better than needing to, you know, put a towel in there every night and either, you know, forget it's in there in the morning when you wash your hands, get it wet and then have to wash it, or forget to put it in there, get in bed at night, and all of a sudden, oh, i got to listen to that noise again. So anyway, keep the questions coming, guys. I always appreciate them. If you've got anything else for me, send them along to me. Send them along to Jack. I'll answer things on entrepreneurship, on starting a small business, on absolutely murdering the poverty mindset, home maintenance, handyman, landscaping, content creation, anything and everything else. And if you want to know what I'm up to, come by a Toolman Tim's workshop over on YouTube. Or if you're looking for some you know, extra noise for your ear holes, add workshop radio to your podcast lineup. And with that, guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. All right, there are good suggestions from Tim. Now we're going to get some suggestions from Nicole on how to maintain good relationships with neighbors and build strong community. Hey, TSP, Nicole Sauce here from the Living Free in Tennessee podcast and Hollow Roast Coffee with a question from Neve. I hope I say, I'm saying your name right. The question is, how do you collaborate with neighbors? I'd love to hear other people's advice on the best ways to avoid conflict and maintain lasting relationships with neighbors. We generally have positive relationships with neighbors in our small town, but recently some have broken down and seem unresolvable, which is now awkward. We have a community garden going with several other local families, which is a great success. We share the cost of water, and there's been no issue so far. I hope we can maintain these relationships and support each other in the long term. Are there any common mistakes people make that we can avoid? Well, I'm guessing Jack sent me this question because of the Holler neighbor setup. We are a, a small group of four families that all live next door to each other, and we also have some inner circle folks in the entire state of Tennessee who are just really good at doing projects together. And I think the things I've learned as part of this growing community is that you cannot have relationships without some conflict. And what it takes to get through those conflicts is an amount of humility, a clear view on your goal for wanting a positive outcome and for assuming that people mean the best rather than are trying to undermine you because there's nothing like your own weird paranoid inner dialogue to mess up your relationships when they did not need to be messed up and a commitment to clear boundaries. So in your situation, you've got a community garden going where everybody's currently getting along. There's some clarity of how expenses are shared, 
But what do you have in place for resolving conflicts if they come up? For example, let's say somebody as part of the community garden puts the hose out and just turns it on and walks away for four days and your water bill goes through the roof. Should everybody share in that equally? Or does the person who eh, maliciously or not left it on, should they make up for that mistake? I think thinking about some of those things in advance and maybe talking about like what would we do hypothetically in this situation is helpful. Making space to communicate is very important. And then we have the vampire problem. In every community I've ever been in, there is the vampire problem. We get together. We're doing things. We're making progress. We are moving forward. And you know what? That's attractive to people. And new people come on board. And every so often you get that one Eeyore-ish like person. You know Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh who's always depressed? You get that person who gets energy from seeing other people in pain or gets energy from creating drama. Our policy in our network has been to purge those people as quickly as possible. That doesn't mean sit them down and have a conversation. It means we don't accept this behavior. We set the boundary. We make it uncomfortable for them to be around being a vampire so they don't stay around. And if a conversation has to happen, I'm the person who gets to have that conversation because somehow I ended up the leader of this whole ribble rabble of folks that are doing things. Although we have other leaders in the wider network. And that's my job. Like sometimes I have a conversation that I shouldn't have to have with a grown ass adult as if they're a 12 year old or a 10 year old. That is what it is. But it's very important to articulate the boundaries and your boundaries and your community's boundaries are going to be different than my boundaries and my community's boundaries. I think what has happened in our community to make it so successful is that people have a shared goal and a shared set of values and they aren't necessarily religious values. They're just, uh, they're more homestead based, right? They're about helping your fellow man and they are about assuming the best and not the worst. And they are about working hard together and they are about being the kind of community that we think existed in the fifties that may or may or not have, but that seems to be ripped apart through the division of politics. And that's the other thing is we don't like people one-on-one -on -one discuss politics, but generally in our conversation groups, they are about conversations. And if you are forwarding fear articles, your article will be deleted. And we have articulated that clearly. And while it is okay to talk about politics, sometimes we are also very clear that our conversations are about solutions and productivity and not fear, and not fear-mongering. And with those in place on our social networks, that's made a big difference to where we are not going down the rabbit hole, so to speak, because it's very easy to go down the rabbit hole for all of us. And once one person starts, people follow, and the next thing you know, you're talking about something that you have no control over when what you could be doing is helping, you know, the dude who broke his leg build, build his turkey coop, which is what the community was doing here last weekend is they helped one of our fellow homesteaders get his turkey coop dried in. So that's the best advice I can give you. I would also examine those awkward relationships that seem unresolvable and ask yourself why and what's so important about it. Is it an ego issue? where people can't admit they were wrong or can't like just say, hey, we just aren't going to agree on this topic and let's move on. Like I go to Thanksgiving and Christmas at my family's house 
And my brother-in-law is very socialist and I am not. And sometimes we even talk about politics and we do it in a friendly way. We've established parameters to be able to do that. And that would seem like an unresolvable perspective, like libertarian Nicole and sort of socialist leaning communist brother-in-law, right? But we love each other and we acknowledge that the family relationship is more important than a political opinion and are able to be adults about it. And then we have some fun conversations. Not everybody can do that. And that's that's where you just got to find that with those quote unquote unresolvable relationships. The way I like to think about those is as follows. If one of our mutual friends dies and I'm at the funeral, can I get along with this person? If the answer to that is, yeah, and in fact, I'd probably forgive anything that hurt my feelings, then it's time to forgive those hurt feelings and move on and establish how you you can interact with each other. And if the answer to that is, no, I'd still hate their guts, then maybe that's somebody that you need the boundary out of your life. Like their impact on your life is so negative, they just shouldn't be around. And that is what it is. I had to do both of those things. But I do find that sort of like at the funeral assessment really helpful in assessing what's most important about the relationship with the person and finding ways to get past little petty things because a lot of times what's happening in our lives are small petty things that don't really matter and we are blowing them up our egos get involved and then next thing you know you haven't spoken to your brother or your mother for six months and (laughs) and then they're sick in the hospital and that's not a great situation to be in so you know like just discerning when it's a toxic relationship versus a minor annoyance are are two very important things to put effort into. I hope this advice helps you. I do know that if you're interested in how the Tennessee GSD crew came to be, which is just a group of people, it's the Get Shit Done crew, who come around to people's houses and install stuff. We kind of permablitz each other's houses with building. In fact, there's going to be one this weekend putting an AC unit in somebody's place. Brian Young, who is on the the, the Telegram groups for TSP, or you can go to Living Free in Tennessee and find him. He has put together a write-up about sort of how to host that kind of event, how to get that sort of thing going. Because while I was the sort of the podcast face of these things, really the folks who put that together are Brian and Sean and a bunch of the other GSD crew here. They're the ones who figured out, like, this is what you communicate. This is how we get it done. This is how we keep people going. This is how we you know, choose what project to do. He's got a great write-up on it. Reach out to him, ask him for that. Hope this really helps you. And I hope your community continues to thrive. Make it a great week. I think one of the things Nicole hit on there, um, but didn't really dive as deep into as some of the other really great points, is just the entire concept of conflict resolution. I'm all for 86 people that need to be 86, and they do a real good job of that. But when someone lives somewhere, uh, you cannot be part of them, but they're still part of you, if you know what I mean. Like, they're still there. And so I think one of the things people really need to do, if they start thinking about geographic-centric communities, like you start talking about this whole compound idea and putting people together, Libertopia, etc. One thing that is absolutely required to make that work is a system of conflict resolution that avoids the state. Some form of private arbitration, and when people come into that community, they agree to it. So... What we both agree to is when the council speaks, let's say, then we are going to both abide by what the council said. 
we 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 accept that the council will be impartial and fair in its 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 assessment of the situation and you know whether that's how it is or not i'm not saying that you that's the way to do it i'm saying whatever the conflict resolution is you know maybe it's the 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 the, the uh, if you want to call it a council or a board or something are people that are not part of your community that's probably best that nobody has a pre-existing relationship with a private arbitrator that can be trusted to be fair and impartial because generally they are when you're looking at a situation and you don't have a dog in the hunt, you don't live with these people, you're not friends with these people, it's just two people with a disagreement, you tend to look at it like a father looks at their kid when their kid says, I didn't break the window, but it's their baseball through the window. Well, I love you, son, but how'd the ball get through the window? I don't know. See, that's not a good enough answer. Billy did it. Well, let's talk to Billy. And, and you know, parents tend to be pretty good at sorting this shit out as long as it ain't that you, you were told your kid did it over there. If you're Billy's dad, you may not be so... But it tends to be the case, in my experience, that dads tend to like, let's find out what really happened. And they're very close to one side of that disagreement, right? And generally speaking, if Billy didn't do it, Johnny confesses and says, well, let's go talk to Billy. Oh, hold on. I, yeah, yeah, right. So uh, I think that that's one thing that you definitely need if you're going to build community beyond just neighbors and stuff like that. Like you're actually going to build a community. I'm not going to tell you what the dispute resolution mechanism should be, but there needs to be one. It needs to be fair it needs to be impartial, and it needs to be respected. It needs to be agreed to going in. And it's the only way I think you'll ever be able to make it work because when you put more than a couple human beings together, you will have conflict. And if you tell me you won't, I'm just going to ask you, if you're married for more than five minutes, have you ever had an argument with your wife? And if you and your wife are going to have disagreements, then you and a person that lives two houses over are going to have disagreements at times. No matter how much you get along, no matter how much you agree, learning to be respectful is the key, though. Right? So we can disagree, and, and, and there is nothing dumber to me than two people having an actual argument about a politician in Washington, D.C. when they're sitting in Florida. That is the most childish, dumbest thing on the planet. But if we're arguing over your dog climbed over my fence and bit my kid, then we need a resolution. That is something we actually have to have a resolution for. So what I'm talking about is not the pol politics and stuff that Nicole was. I'm talking about actual places where people bump up against each other because they have competing interests on the same piece of land or in the same area. There has to be a mechanism for that. Uh, next up, we have one from Sean Mills on air compressors and power draw in an old shop with not-so-great wiring. Hey, everybody. It's Sean Mills with HackMyHomestead.com, and today I've got a question about not overloading the wiring when running an air compressor. So here we go. Uh, hello, Jack. Question for Sean or Tim Cook. Uh, how to reduce the initial load on the grid when turning on a very power-demanding appliance. Details. Hey, gents, I have recently rented a small garage for a car restoration project. One of the main tools I'll be using is an air compressor, which is rated at 3,000 watts, 220 volts uh, for Europe. 
Um, the garage has power in it. However, it looks very shady and not very safe to use. It seems it is okay to use for small power appliances and power garage doors, etc. However, I am worried that if I have the lights on and turn on my compressor, it might blow all fuses or worse, short somewhere and go on fire. For the price I am renting the place for, asking the owner to sort out the power is not feasible. I'm wondering if some sort of capacitor or initial surge dampener exists that I could buy cheaper than buying an expensive uh, 3,500-watt-plus portable power generator, allowing me to use the compressor without having to worry about the whole place going up in flames. So far, my options are buying a 3,500-watt inverter and connecting it to my wife's Prius to use as a generator, buy a standalone 3,500-watt generator, or buy a 3,500-watt battery pack. Uh, brainstorming various solutions and figure it out. Ask thanks in advance. And uh, kind regards, R. R, uh, so there's a couple things to think about here. Um, if the wiring is the concern, then your cheapest route would just be to buy, buy the wire and wire up a temporary plug from the subpanel uh, and just use that. So uh, that would be probably your safest and most cost-effective option. Uh, so I would suggest that if that is possible. Now, if the concern is the power supply itself, well, then I don't think capacitors are, are really going to help you. Uh, they do make soft-start um, devices that essentially – help to mitigate the locked rotor amperage draw that any of these loads have to overcome the initial, you know, going from stopped to moving. So uh, your compressor and your refrigerator, your freezer, your compressor uh, for your air conditioning uh, or the motor for, for a well pump or an air compressor all has the same problem as it has to overcome the inertia of being stopped to begin to spin in order to do the work for you. So one of the ways that you can actually uh, reduce that inrush current for an air compressor is to start the compressor with no pressure in the tank. Um, so if you, you know, let's say you're going down to 50 PSI with whatever tools you're using, uh, it would actually reduce the draw when you turn that compressor on if you drained the air out of the tank and then kicked it on when it was empty. And so what that does is it doesn't add uh, the existing pressure in the tank to the forces that have to be overcome to get that compressor uh, working. So that would be another option. Like I said, they do make soft start devices. I don't know if they make them for the European market. I don't operate in that market, so I haven't seen them. Most of the ones that are like inline capacitors are for 110, 115, 120 volt. And so, again, I'm not sure if that would work. It definitely would not work for your 220-volt um, device. But, you know, you could look at an inverter with a AC input where you could actually program the maximum input amperage. So it would only draw, say, 10 amps, and then it would supply the rest of it from a battery. Uh, so that would be an option. You know, again, not, not a ton of options. If it's if this is not going to be a long term project, you could always just run it off of a generator, uh, and that would be kind of like my second option. If I couldn't wire a dedicated uh, circuit and then take the wire and the plug home with me when I was done with the job, 
Uh, I would probably just take it out of that system altogether and run it off of a generator. A generator uh, is going to provide throw out some dirty power, which the compressor won't want. want. But like I said, if it's not a long-term project, that would work. Or you could use an inverter generator. So, you know, if you look for those things, I think Black Friday is coming up soon. And, you know, you might be able to find a really good price on an inverter generator that would definitely be cheaper than an inverter of that size. And, um, you know, then you've got a nice backup power option for the house when you're done. So that's how I would go about it. And, and even even with a generator, you're going to want to oversize that generator uh, again to, you know, there's there's generators that would run that compressor but wouldn't start it, if you know what I mean. So a 3,500-watt generator would probably not actually start that compressor. You're going to want to oversize that a little bit. And, um, and yeah, so those are the options. Like I said, I think the easiest way to do this would be to just run a separate, uh, dedicated set of wires. And I would say that if you can't trust the box itself, uh, you might want to go with battery powered lights as well. <laughs> so, I uh, hope that helps you out. It sounds like a cool project. And, um, yeah, like I said, uh, not, not a perfect answer for you because, the specifics of being in Europe and for this and this being a split phase unit rather than single phase. So um, those are the best options I can come up with you. So good luck and let us know how it turns out. Well, guys, keep getting the questions in to Jack and I'll keep getting them answered. So here's a couple thoughts that I have. One, I agree if this is a wiring issue, if you're worried about the state of the wiring, and, and I'm going to tell you that just because, like, you know, if you have flex wiring or something like that and it has a bunch of dust on it, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. Like, here's what I would actually do first, okay, especially if you ain't signed a lease yet. I would get an electrician to come in there and say, what do you think is going to happen if I plug this and just hand them a piece of paper with the specs on it, compressor into that? Is it going to be a problem? And pay them to check it out for you. And if they say, don't do it, and you need this piece of equipment, and, and, and you say, okay, what are my options to fix it, and that number is untenable to you, then go find another place. And if you say, well, the other place is more expensive, then you need to figure out how to make the price tenable. This sounds like a key piece of infrastructure to what your plans are. It sounds like a business venture. So there's cost with doing business, okay? So that would be step one, is I would pay an electrician a few hundred bucks to do an assessment for me. Because he might just say, that's fine. Or you need this one little thing to make it fine. Or he might say, yeah, you want a soft start. Now, this is something I do have some experience with. I have an air, compress an air conditioner on the back side of my house, and it was having trouble starting up, and that's exactly what they did. Now, that's not running 220. I don't think, anyway. Um, and it is not as large a compressor as probably a shock compressor has on it, but it's the same concept. Basically, the soft start is kicking, taking energy and kicking over the compressor and then handing it off back to the main circuit. And we had issues, like, it would just hang up and, like, and it wasn't spinning. And that was put in two years ago. Ain't never had another problem with it. It's, and, and so it probably would work. The other thing is, you may be able to put in a new circuit for about $1,000 to $2,000. And if this is a business, that is not a number that should scare you away from it. Because all these other things are not free. 
And so I'm basing that on the fact that I had a uh, circuit put in, 220, to run a hot tub. And it cost me $1,100. I'm aware that it's a few years later and everything costs more. And you're in the European market and everything costs more. But you're probably still somewhere in that ballpark. Now, another thing could be, you know, maybe he would, an electrician might say, well, you know, you need to run a new piece of wire and we need to put this new uh, breaker in the box that's already there. That's fine. And a new outlet and all that. I don't know the European market, just like Sean. But I can tell you, when I've had to have electrical work done before in the past, it was going to cost me money. I don't need to pay an electrician to be a cable puller. I don't need to pay a dude making 150 to $300 an hour to pull cable, which is basically what running electrical wire is. So what I've done before for myself is I've run the electrical wire and had the electrician come in and put both ends down. Now, I don't know with all stupid regulations in the EU or whatever, if that's okay there. But it's certainly okay here. So that would be another, like, you can find out what do I need, what are the parts, and you're just going to pay the guy, he'd probably bill you a minimum for a truck roll an hour, right, to come out and put the power end down and, and sign off on it for whatever paperwork you need. So I've done that, my old man's done that, I learned that from my old man in the 80s. We're putting all this electrical wire in. I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And he explained it to me. I'm like, and it stayed in my head. I was 15 years old. I haven't forgot. So those are some options. And now, let's get into what I want to talk to you today about. I really have two things in my segment today. I want to start off with this rare, undiagnosed pneumonia. They do the children. It's infecting children. And they always kill her with ammonia. And it started off in, in, in some part of China. And, it was, and they had the undiagnosed reports. And this freaking organization that's a globalist organization paid for by Big Pharma. I can't remember what they're called. Headquartered in Boston, but all of their audio is in a British accent. That's wonderful. And, and they do not list who their funders are. And the primary organization behind them also doesn't list who their funders are. That was telling us all about... Uh, this bullshit of this this disease in China, and the recommendations were the people in China anyway should wear masks and get a vaccine and wash their hands and socially distance. Okay, let's, let's break that down. You should wear a mask. Okay, we all know that bullshit doesn't work. Okay, we already did this. We already played this game. It doesn't work. You're putting on a suit of armor, and the troll in the game comes up and kills you right through your armor. Don't buy that armor anymore. Yeah? Okay, that doesn't work. Socially distanced. We also know this doesn't work. Six feet, right? It was bullshit, an arbitrary number they made up to control you. So we know that doesn't work. We, we don't need to go there. All right, so wear a mask, socially, wash your hands. You should wash your hands and not be a pig. Nothing to do with disease. Forget about it. And get a vaccine. Okay, which one? Which one? Go get a vaccine! Undiagnosed pneumonia! Okay, so you don't know... What the cause of the pneumonia is. And I'm supposed to go run, run out and get the spike vax? Should I get tetanus? What, what, what vaccine do I get for undiagnosed pneumonia that's showing up in kids? So it's all bullshit. Then, magically, like a week later, it shows up in the Netherlands. What? What? Really? And they said, oh, 80 out of every 100,000 children in the Netherlands got pneumonia. 
880 out of 100,000. Now, let me tell you, I can't prove a negative, but I highly doubt that if one kid in China or the Netherlands or in Djibouti died from this shit, that that would be, oh my God, victim zero, right? No, there's no reports of any deaths from this crap, but I think there's a good chance it may be coming right back here. All the bullshit all over again. Masking, distancing, shutdowns, etc. And I think it will be very spotty as to where people actually tolerate it. And as much as I'm pessimistic about the average American idiot, I think this one, the average idiot, has decided no more. No more. We ain't doing this shit. We barely did this shit the first time here in Texas. We ain't doing it again, I promise you. People I know ain't doing it. I almost hope they try it just so they can get it shoved up their asses. But, right in the same vein, and this is, this is partly, I'll tell you what happened after I play this for you. This is partly why I am done with the average moron in this country and in the Western world and in the world as a whole. I'm about to play something for you off of Fox News. And I, you know, on Twitter, I already got the, the ad hominem. It's Fox News. I don't give a shit. It's out of NIH. It's on paper. We, we, we have evidence. It doesn't matter. It's Fox News. It's MAGA. Okay. Um, I'm just going to play this Fox News report for you, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about it. This should have anybody... Anybody, I don't care if you're a socialist, a communist, a libertarian, an anarchist, a right-wing rhino republican, a neocon, anybody who's not part of the game, anybody should be calling for somebody's head here that this was done. And it's not really about the Ebola in China. Wait do you hear what was done. Because, God, what would people think? Ticket warnings about the Wuhan lab and a possible cover-up three years before the COVID pandemic that's raising new questions about China's role in the global health disaster and what Dr. Fauci knew about it. All this as China struggles with an alarming surge of respiratory illnesses overloading medical centers. So we start with that. Welcome to a brand new hour of America's Newsroom. I'm Dana Perino. How are you doing? Great. And you? Nice. Great. Better say great. Morning, partner. I'm Bill Hemmer. Good morning at home. We're now learning a U.S. health official working for Dr. Fauci raised serious safety concerns six years ago in 2017 after taking a tour of the lab in Wuhan, China's first ever level four biosafety lab for handling dangerous pathogens. The U.S. official was shocked and alarmed after learning the lab was considering plans to reverse engineer the deadly Ebola virus. But when she told superiors before writing her report, she was ordered to delete any reference to Ebola. Well, more on this. Rich Edson follows it up on what they knew and why they might want to hide that critical information. Rich, hello to you. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Bill. This U.S. health worker toured the Wuhan Institute of Virology just as it was about to open its most secure lab. And Chinese officials were admitting they needed more expertise to operate it. This is the same facility that some believe U.S. officials started COVID-19 with an accidental lab leak. The U.S. health official touring the lab worked for the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. That's part of the National Institutes of Health or NIH. In emails obtained by Fox, she wrote to other NIH officials that, 
During her tour, a technician at the Wuhan lab complained it was illegal to import Ebola to China to study it. The NIH worker then wrote to other department officials, quote, I remember he said that since they don't have the Ebola virus, they had, quote, considered using reverse genetics to create the virus. I was shocked to hear what he said that. I also worry the reaction of people in Washington when they read this. The technician is only a worker, not a decision maker, nor a PI, principal investigator. So how much we should believe what he said. She wrote, if that got out, it would be difficult to get more information about the lab. Two days later, she received the reply, quote, as we discussed, delete that comment. That detail never made it into her official report. Former U.S. officials say this is just one of many concerns about that lab. Well, it highlights we don't know enough about what really is going on at, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, whether they're hiding some of their research. Uh, they're just not being truthful. We asked the NIH to comment on omitting these details from the final cable and whether NIH officials had or have any concerns about the Wuhan lab. We did not get a response to those. Let me tell you when you know a, a group, an organization, an individual, etc. is guilty of what they're being accused of. When they're asked to comment on it by, you know, something as large as the Fox News media empire, and they do not. That, that's when you know that they are lying bastards. They know that anything they say will only make it worse, and therefore the best thing to do is to remain silent. I want to talk about, you know, I put what you just heard as a video up on Twitter. Here's just one example of some of the pushback I got. Somebody named Loman321, and boy, if you go check this guy out on his, his account, he is a moron. He is all in on believing all of the neoliberal bullshit. Trump is going to kill everybody in the world if he becomes president again. He's just going to have you executed. I mean, just that kind of level of stupidity. He puts up, his response to me is just this. Get help, exclamation point, and then a giant, like, placard meme. MAGA is a mental illness. This is the kind of person who's speaking from ignorance and doesn't know who he's talking to. I remember telling you back during the 2016 election, if you were to put a gun to my head and made me choose and I had to vote for Trump or Hillary, I might just have to let you shoot me. Right. So this guy clearly doesn't know who he's talking to, but it doesn't matter. But because I'm pointing out a news report about abuse of our government, which, by the way, happened while Trump was president. 2017, the president of the United States of America, much to the chagrin of the woke left and the morons on the left, was President Donald J. Trump. This happened on his watch. And as the president, you get some of the blame for what your bureaucracy's doing when you said you were going to drain the swamp and you didn't drain the fucking swamp, Don. You didn't do it. Okay? You didn't do it. You lied. You were full of shit. You didn't do it. And if by some miracle you end up president again, God, I hope you at least try. Because he didn't even try to drain those swamp folks. He kept all of the Obama appointees in the White House. And he got his ass stabbed in the back for it because he was stupid as a president. Okay? Like, so, obviously, a MAGA! All right? Yeah. All right. You got to think about... Let all of the surrounding shit go. What happened here? He wasn't a prince. See, Fox is not on your side. 
They pretend to be, but they're not. First of all, as the medical facilities are overwhelmed in China with the new respiratory illness, they don't know that. They haven't sent one person there to see. None of them have been there. They don't know. They're just parroting what they were told to say by a teleprompter. But they're priming that pump because they're going to be part of this shit if and when it ends up here and they start trying to restart this bullshit again. Okay? What does overwhelm me? Just let it go. Right? But they're, I just want to point out, they're not on your side, they're not your friends, even if you're on the right. Better does not equal good. Better just means less bad. It doesn't mean good. All right. So, they malign the guy. He's just an employee. He's not a principal investigator. Now, what the fuck was he doing walking around as a representative of NIH in the Wuhan lab if, you know, we can't take him at his word, he doesn't have the right title. He's not an expert. The man saying someone in that lab told him this is what they were going to do. Okay, this warrants investigation, skepticism, oversight, follow-through, follow-up. And the way that happens in government, I know some of you aren't really aware of the inner workings of government. If it doesn't get written down, it doesn't exist. Whoever the next bureaucrat is to pick it up in the chain doesn't know what ever happened and doesn't look for it and doesn't investigate it. That's how it works. Everything that's important to what you're talking about when it is handed off has to be in the report. And the higher-ups, the, the Fauci scum underlings, said delete it. Okay, This is a federal fucking crime. Okay? You understand that? This is a federal felony. The person who in writing gave the order that again, we have that writing. This is not speculation. The person that gave that order committed a federal felony that they will absolutely, I'll stand right here and say it now, absolutely never be prosecuted for and never be held accountable in any way for. Maybe they'll end up on the House floor in front of somebody like Jim Jordan answering some bullshit questions while everybody grandstands, but nothing will come of it. Grow up. Don't think the truth coming out will make the guilty pay. It's a lie. You are a grown-ass man or woman. If you're listening to the show, I hope, put away the childish things and act like a man or a woman. They're going to get away with it. The bigger problem here is that people will defend this. People who should know better will defend this because, well, my tribe couldn't have done that. Your tribe didn't do it, moron. This is the Trump administration that this happened under. Trump was the one that looked at a guy like Fauci, who'd been there 40 years, the highest paid bureaucrat in Washington. And left him in place. Trump's the one that looked at all the people that were on white in White House staff positions, top bureaucratic positions reporting directly to the president or to the cabinet that were put there by Obama and left them in place. That's what happened. You were promised that a populist was going to come in and roll heads, and he left everything in place. And I'm going to tell you why. And it might sound a little bit like a defense of Trump, and in some ways it maybe will be. But it's just the truth. Again, I like to call balls and strikes. He didn't know who to put in those positions. He didn't have anybody that knew inside baseball there. And when he did put people in place, since he didn't have any... And everybody he pulled from his personal stable 
was a failure. Once well, a Scaramucci lasted, what, like two days? Right? Because they didn't know the place. They didn't know how to do the job. And since you brought them in and you left all these people with knives around, they immediately started just stabbing the shit out of them. So Trump, not being a complete idiot, understanding that in some ways he was in over his head, because I don't know that he ever thought he was going to win in the first place, thought if I get rid of all... Like, when you buy... Like, Trump buys companies. When you buy a company, even if the people running it don't really know what they're doing, you only replace a few of them. Because you don't know what you're doing either until you figure it out. You don't get time to do that in politics. You don't get time to do that in politics. So, when if you saw a conventional politician win in a presidential election, and this always happened, whether it was Reagan taking... Like, I'm going back to presidents I remember in my life. Reagan taking over for Carter. You know, Bush taking over for Reagan, eh, you're kind of on the same side, so not as much. But even that wiped, changed some of the bureaucrats. But when Clinton took over for Bush Sr., every Bush appointee out the door within a week. When Bush Jr. took over from Clinton, every Clinton appointee that was a key employee that reported directly to him or the cabinet, with very few exceptions, out the door Immediately or within a week or two. <laughs> when Obama took over, gutted all the Bush appointees. Now, that's not judges and shit like that and mid-level people, but the top-level people, the people the president relies on, gutted and gone. And old Donnie, the old Donnie, he kept Obama's people. I wasn't surprised when his entire presidency basically was a disaster. And the guy did some good things. I've, I'm on record with it. Still, all of this, all this criticism, best president in my adult life, if you make me pick one, for what was done during the administration, Donald Trump. I don't even have to think about it. Does it Better doesn't equal good. All right? Best doesn't equal good. Best is the least bad out of a bunch of criminals and thieves. But you know what? I'll close with this today. Do you know who I, th- I hope wins in 2024? Donald Trump. Do you know why? Because there has never been a person who has been more targeted with the justice system being used as a weapon in the United States of America than Donald Trump. And it doesn't really matter who's president in the end, but the people behind this need to lose. And I have this thin sliver of hope. If the orange man rises like the great pumpkin once again from the pumpkin patch in the fall of 2024, that he will slay these people. I don't think it'll happen, but a man can have a little bit of hope and hope that at least somebody pays for something. I don't think it'll happen, but it just might. But if nothing else, the people that have orchestrated this bullshit, they need to lose as far as, but Jack, then the American people lose. We lose anyway. Four more years of Biden may destroy what's left of our country. Four to eight years of Gavin Newsom will. You might as well just hand the keys of the United States of America over to Klaus Schwab and the WEF if Gavin Newsom becomes president. I mean it. I mean it. He will be way worse and way more effective than Biden. At least Biden's a joke. Man's a joke. Gives me no pleasure to say that the president of my country is a joke 
and a national embarrassment. He's a global embarrassment. Anyway, what are we going to do about all this, guys? What we always teach you. Build a business. Build a community. Build up your life. Make yourself resilient. There's no getting out of this. There's no getting out of this. You know? I mean, what's the establishment doing right now? Well, Ron DeSantis went from polling like 37, 38% being the anointed one that could beat the orange man, even though he never polled higher than him, to like polling like 8, 9%. I know! Let's get the Koch brothers in the room. Guys, guys, we gotta pick a new horse. Nikki Haley. Warmonger, warmonger Karen, Nikki Haley. This woman is trying to start a war with, like, I think John Bolton is wearing a Nikki Haley suit with a voice box in it. I don't even think it is Nikki Haley. As much as I always disliked her, she's gone full Karen warmonger. Full Karen warmonger. Yeah, that'll be great. Now, this is the thing. None of these people think for one minute that this moron can defeat Trump. What are they playing at then? They're all looking for the number two horse right now. This is the gamble. This is the long shot gamble. First of all, all these people with money, what they do, they fund both sides always. Wars, both sides. Political defense, both sides. Doesn't matter. That way, whoever wins, they have in their pocket. That, that, that's, that's what's going on here. So this is the play. We'll pick the person we think is most likely to come in a distant second to the Great Pumpkin. And that way, if the Great Pumpkin goes to Georgia Penitentiary and is somehow knocked out of the race, we own the horse that's still in it. You see that? Well, I know Trump can get elected and pardon himself. Not from the state of Georgia, he can't. You know that? President's conditional pardons for federal crimes. Trump's being charged under Georgia state law. I think it's bullshit. Doesn't mean it. You know how many innocent people are in jail? Lots of them. Lots of them. That's what they're betting on. Somehow, some way, Orange Man gets taken out and they own the Haley horse, which is a losing horse against Biden, by the way, I'm just saying. No way Nikki Haley beats Joe Biden. Oh. I know it sounds crazy because Biden doesn't even know where he is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because people are going to vote for the side they want to win no matter who it is. I'm telling you right now, I have no prayer of being president of the United States. But if, like, remember that show, the movie with Chris Rock and the head of state, where, like, the president and the vice president crashed into each other? And the the, the it was either the House Majority Leader or the Senate Majority Leader or something like that for the party that the president was in realizes like we're not going to win this year anyway and I want to run next year uh, so they put Chris Rock in as an alderman as the as the nominee if some weird shit happened like that where Jack Spirico got named uh, the nominee for either party but one of the two main parties. I would win or lose by 1% to 2%. And if I stood up on stage and said, and I pulled a Richard Pryor, right? I said, don't vote for me. I don't want to be president. I hate all of you. You all suck. Don't vote for me. I would still win or lose by only 1% to 2%. Because that's where the country's mindset is right now. That makes us perfectly divided. It's exactly where we're supposed to be. So that they can control us. And as long as you keep playing the game, you're being controlled. 
Remember War Games? It's a strange game. It's a strange game. The only winning move is not to play. Set up your own game. Play your own game. And play to win that one because you actually have a fair shake in it. With that, let me wrap up. Let me remind you guys, if you want to help support this show and the work that we do, you can always do so by starting your online shopping at a little website called tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. It's actually just a page at the survivalpodcast.com, but it'll take you right to that page so that you can see all the reviews I've done and all kinds of information I have for you about maximizing when you're buying stuff on Amazon, like learning about the Renewed store and learning about the Amazon outlet, both which can save you lots of money every year, hundreds of dollars even. Today, what I have for you is not in either of those stores right now, but some of them are marked down. They're not marked as a sale, but their prices have dropped because I got a price alert on them. And I brought these to you this month, the Knipex Cobra pliers. These things are amazing. I encourage you to check them out, Knipex, K-N-I-P-E-X, Cobra pliers. They're a vice grip, or I'm sorry, a channel lock style plier but they literally lock into each stage of how wide you want them, and they grip so tightly that you can take a set of these things and put them on it. If it's a bar or a pipe that will hold your weight, lock them on there. Now, they're not like uh, vice grips or something. like They're just with hands and put them on there. But when you push down where the teeth bite in, a grown man can stand on them and they won't slip. But if you pull them up, they come right off. And the smaller ones are amazing for EDC. Again, several of them are marked down. And the three-pack, which is the 7-inch, the 10-inch, and the 12-inch together are marked down about 20 bucks today. And the 4-inch and the 5-inch are both amazing for EDC use. If you give them a try, you'll probably get rid of like your mini multi-tool or something like that. Your full-size Leatherman or whatever. What these pliers do, and they're easy to carry is so beyond anything you could ever do with anything that's kind of like a, a set of you know wire-cutting needle-nose pliers, which is what most of those are, so beyond that. The little 5-inch one easily fits around, for instance, the nuts on the end of a, like a 3-quarter-inch garden hose. So that when you're trying to remove hoses from a hose bib or put one on or something, they'll do that for you. Try that with your Leatherman. It won't work. German-made and engineered, the best of the best, I, I can't believe it took me this long to find these. Big shout out to J.R. Haley who gave me a set as a as a as a present uh, at the workshop. Thank you for that, sir. And uh, I will use these for the rest of my life. I'll just say that. And if you have somebody in your life you really really like because they are a little bit pricey, uh, you might consider them as a gift this time of year. And remember, my top recommendations for gifts from T-Spaz are also available at the website. Uh, you can check that. I just scroll down uh, from uh, the top of the survivalpodcast.com and you'll find my recommended Christmas gifts and the top 10 best selling items off of T Spaz from 2023. With that, guys, I'll catch you on Monday with a brand new episode. Tomorrow will be a Friday flashback. going to bail you out, just run you around. They said you should have a house. American way a dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay there's a better way to do this let me show you a better way